Father in heaven, we are in need of hope and help this morning, and so we turn to you. We turn to the truth of your word. We know that faith comes from hearing and hearing from your word. And so we ask that you'd strengthen us as we sit and listen to your word this morning. Lord, I pray you'd help me to preach faithfully and, and clearly that your son Jesus would be exalted, that we would turn and look to him this morning and be filled with hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Christian, is the return of Christ a part of your gospel? It's a question that I've asked you throughout this sermon series in 1 Thessalonians. You've heard it here already this morning. Is Christ's return a part of your gospel? The return of Christ is good news. That's what the word gospel means. It's good news. And certainly this morning, we've exulted in the good news that Jesus Christ, He came down from heaven to earth, the eternal Son of God. He came down to earth to die, to lay His life down as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for sin. That's good news. It's good news that He's risen from the dead. On the third day, He rose again from the dead. We thought about that in a special manner on Easter Sunday a few weeks ago, but we rejoice in that good news every Sunday morning that we meet. Every Sunday morning is Resurrection Sunday morning, the Lord's Day in that respect. We rejoice. It's good news that that He's reigning this morning. That's why we pray. And we know that our prayers are heard in the name of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we must also rejoice that he is one day returning. How much have you thought about that this week? How much has that filled your prayer life? Do we only long for the return of Jesus when things don't seem to be going well? What about when things are going well? We feel like our prayers are being answered in the way and in the time we want. Or when things are going well with our physical health, or when things are going well relationally with others. On those days, do we still long for the return of, of Jesus? Don't get me wrong. When, when, when we have difficulties and trials, it's a great comfort to turn and look at our hope at the return of Jesus. But that hope is there for our good days, and that hope is there for our hard days. That hope is there for us as an ever-present help, that our faith is in Jesus. You see, the return of Jesus is a glorious part of of the gospel. It's a glorious part of the gospel we proclaim and that we rejoice in and that we meditate in. Our Christian hope is that Christ is indeed returning one day, hopefully soon. And so we come this morning to have our minds pointed to that day. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning, we have specific instruction on how it is that you can prepare for that day. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. That's where we're going to be this morning. Chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. If you want to use that pew Bible right in front of you, the best way to stay engaged with the sermon is to open up a copy of God's Word, open up the Bible and follow along. You can take that pew Bible if you need to use that. Turn to page 987, page 987 in the pew Bible. We're going to be in chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. And if you've come this morning and you don't own a Bible, use that pew Bible this morning and then take it home with you. Take it home with you. Keep reading through 1 Thessalonians and connect with someone here, maybe a member sitting beside you or any of our pastors at the door. We'd love to read God's Word with you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Let me read through all of this passage as we begin our time together. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, 
Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Well, the main point that I want you to see in this passage, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, is this. Live like Christ is returning today. It's the main idea that I want us to see in this passage. Live like Christ is returning today. Now, the Apostle Paul, he taught the Thessalonian church repeatedly about the return of Lord, I mentioned that's one of the reasons why I picked this letter as our next sermon series, because at the end of every chapter, there's a reference to the return of the Lord, the end of one, two, three, and four. And even here at the beginning of five, we see extended teaching on the return of the Lord. Now, if you remember, it's been a few weeks since we've been in 1 Thessalonians. Last week, we were in Proverbs. The week before, we had a one-off series for, uh, for Easter Sunday. So it's been a few weeks. So as a reminder, the end of chapter 4 spoke to those who, who died, or spoke about those, rather, who died before the return of Christ. The Thessalonians, they were unsettled about what would happen to members of their church who died before the return of Jesus. So both at the end of 4 and beginning of 5, the Apostle Paul is teaching about different aspects of the return of Jesus. At the end of chapter 4, he addressed what happens after death. And here in the beginning of chapter 5, he addresses what will happen at the end of the world when Jesus returns. And he wants them to be ready for that day that is surely to come. And when you look at this passage, we have to be aware of this. How you live your daily life must be connected to the return of Christ. How you live your daily life must be returned, must be connected to the return of Christ. And in this fat passage, we find direction on how to be ready for the return of Jesus. First, in verses 1 through 3, we see that no one knows the time. If you're taking notes this morning, verses 1 through 3, the first part of our outline, no one knows the time. We see in verse 1 that Paul had already thought, taught the Thessalonians about the return of the Lord. What he's doing in this section, he's filling in the gaps. So he just had a few weeks there. It was three weeks that he was in the city of Thessalonica teaching them, and his time was cut short there due to persecution from a violent mob. So he'd already taught them about the return of Jesus, but this letter serves as him teaching them more, filling in the gaps for them and giving them more instruction to prepare them for that day when Christ returns to earth. And he uses the phrase here, the day of the Lord. Now, now, that simply refers to the day that Jesus returns. Uh, the day of the Lord, it's mentioned throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it referred to that day of, of God's final judgment, the final judgment at the end of time. It will be a day when God will finally defeat all of his enemies. And 1 Corinthians 15 tells us the last enemy that will be defeated is death itself. It will also be a day when God finally delivers and saves all of his people from the presence of sin. We saw in the last chapter that those who have already died in Christ and those who are alive at his return will meet together in the air with Jesus, the dead in Christ, rising first. But he'll usher in that time where he'll finally gather all of his people to live with him in eternity. And eventually on this new earth that we see in Revelation chapter 21. So the Old Testament prophets looked forward to this day. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, many others prophesied about the day of the Lord that was to come. And in the New Testament, the apostles point to Jesus saying, hey, the day of the Lord's about Jesus. God's revealed himself in his son Jesus. And that day of the Lord is going to be the same day when Jesus returns and ushers in the end of of time. Now we see right away, you don't prepare for that day, for Christ's return, by trying to figure out the timing. 
I'll tell you that, you know, I, I've been in the city for a long time. We were gone for a little while, uh, serving in other places and up in Washington, D.C., and we moved back. But years ago, uh, at another church in town, uh, I was sitting there, and the pastor told us, now this was the late 90s, and, and if you're like a child of the 90s, you remember as we were approaching the year 2000, people were freaking out about Y2K in the year 2000, all right? And this pastor got up one Sunday, and what he said, he did some math about the, the year that the nation of Israel was restored as a nation. I believe it's 1948. And he took a, a, what he said was a biblical generation. He took 1948 plus 51 and put it together. And he said, that's 1999. He said, I'm not saying I know the date, but I'm sitting there even as an 18-year-old. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, like, could this be it, 2000? And we left a few college students talking about, wow, that's crazy. Could Y2K be the day that Jesus returns? Which really wasn't like a fruitful way to leave church. Because we know from the Bible, you can't know the day. So if anyone says, I know the day, that's a sure way to know they don't know what they're talking about. Right? We can't possibly know the day. And therefore, you don't prepare for that day by trying to put together news articles and social issues and saying, oh, this must be the time. Many people want to know when Christ is returning. Some have even claimed to have figured it out, which they've all been proven wrong. Jesus' own disciples were curious. And they asked him back in Matthew 24, when will these things be? Now, we read this passage this morning. We'd be wise to consider Jesus' words there in verse 36 of Matthew 24. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. It's a day that is surely coming, but you can't know the precise time. So therefore, what the Apostle Paul does to equip them, he uses two illustrations about unexpectedness. It highlights just the unexpected nature of Christ's return. And he uses the image of a thief and the image of a pregnant woman. First, the illustration of a thief. He reminds them there in verses 1 and 2, you won't know the time or season. Rather, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, the apostle Paul didn't make that image up on, on his own. Jesus used it him, himself, again, back in Matthew 24, to speak of his return, that it will come without warning like a thief. Thieves often come in the night when you can't see them. Uh, they don't announce their arrival. They, they come in an unexpected way at an unexpected time without warnings. That, that's the point of the image. When is this day of the Lord, of Jesus' return coming? Well, you can't know. You can know that day is surely coming. Jesus is returning to earth, but it will be a surprising moment in a manner. Because it will come like a thief in the night. It could happen at any time. It will be sudden. Now, Paul uses a second analogy there in verse 3, now pointing to labor pains in pregnancy. A mother does not know when labor will begin. The doctor gives you a due date even in this time and age, and they can kind of measure that through ultrasound and try to give you their best guess. Now, uh, my family, we've had four kids. Our first two came 10 days past the due date. The third one came seven days past the due date. And the fourth one, little Henry, well, he just waited one day past the due date, right? And I remember that, that time in that season, we had the due date, and everything on our calendar was kind of TBD, to be determined. Like, you don't plan anything. You're not really planning to go anywhere. You're, you're waiting. You're expecting, knowing this little one is going to come. It's an exciting time, but at the same time, you're wondering, like, when is this going to happen? You, you can't know. You do know that baby's coming, it will be sudden, and once labor comes, it's unavoidable, it's not going to stop, that baby is going to be delivered. Now, that's a pleasant image, right? For, for if you're expecting here this morning, you're, you're waiting for that little baby to come, that's a pleasant image, but what we see here, what it's connected to actually isn't that pleasant. Notice the analogy of labor pains is connected to sudden destruction. And here, this is referencing God's judgment for those who have not believed in Jesus. Most of this passage, I mean, it gets written to a church, so most of this passage in verses 1 through 11, it's speaking to believers, Christians, those who've repented of their sin and put their faith in Jesus. But verse 3 is speaking of the world, those outside of Jesus, those who have not put their faith in Jesus. While the day itself is unknown to everyone, 
Christians are aware that this day is coming. Those outside of Christ, though, are unaware, unconcerned. It's not a day at all marked on their calendar. That's what we see in verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. That phrase there, peace and security, it's a summary statement of those who don't know Jesus. And rather than looking for peace in Jesus and security that's found in His salvation, eternal security found in Him, that statement summarizes the world that looks for peace and security here on earth. Now, interesting enough, the, the citizens of Thessalonica were likely looking for peace and security through the promises of the Roman Empire in that day, and in, in Pax Romana, peace that the government could purchase for them. And people still look for that peace and security from their government today. They still look for that peace and security from financial institutions, from universities that will prepare you to get a really good job so that you can have peace on earth and security through a a really good salary and benefits package and a really nice house and a a nice, fun life. Nothing wrong with any of those things. Just don't build your life upon them. You see, peace and security found only in Jesus. We see in this passage that the day of the Lord, it will come as sudden destruction, meaning everything here on earth that promised peace and security will end. It'll be destroyed. The futility and emptiness of those passing promises of peace and security found through earthly treasure, gone and swept away forever. And once Christ comes, there will be no escaping God's final judgment. Just as labor pains and pregnancy, once they start, there's no stopping. So it is when Christ returns and ushers in that last day, the day of God's judgment, There will be no escaping. Those who rest in their own pursuit of peace and safety will find neither on that day. Peace and security are only found in Jesus. So if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, we rejoice and long for the day that Jesus returns. But if you're here this morning and you've not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, we we want you to be properly aware and prepared for that day. Jesus is coming back. God will judge you for your sins. He is right to judge you for your sins. And He's so gracious to provide a way for you to be forgiven. And there's only one way to be forgiven of your sins, and that's to turn and trust in Jesus. He's the only way to God. He's the only way to heaven. He's the only way to forgiveness. He's the only way to be counted righteous in the sight of a holy God. He's the only way you can be ready for that day. Your good works and your good efforts, they certainly will not prepare you for that day. That's trying to secure pure peace and security in your own efforts. Christians are those who've turned away from trying to secure secure peace for ourselves. We've found peace in God and what He's done in sending Jesus to die on the cross. We want to urge you this morning turn to Christ. Put your faith in Him today. And church, it's important for us to consider we're the ones that God's commissioned to make the world aware of who Jesus is and that He indeed is coming. And if we don't make people aware, who will? We're God's plan A. You know what God's plan B is? There isn't one. We're the ones that He's called to rejoice in Him and to point others around us to Christ. That's a beautiful way for us to consider our witness of boldness and urgency and joy. We we find joy in Jesus, and we want others to as well. You see, the great equalizer in life, because in this city, you've got different neighborhoods, you've got different sized houses, people who have different levels of education and income. That's the way things work here on earth. But when Jesus returns, the great equalizer will be the day that you stand before God and He judges you. He will judge rich and poor. He will judge every type of person. People who seemingly lived really moral lives, 
upstanding citizens, and He'll also judge those in prison, those whose society sadly sometimes just casts away because of things that they've done wrong. He'll judge everyone, rich, poor, young, old. No one will escape His judgment. And the only way to be prepared for that day is to trust in Jesus. Well, it's important to know that both of these images, a thief and pregnancy, you, you can be prepared for both. You can lock your doors. You can get a security system. You can be prepared for that day. You can be prepared for pregnancy, pack your bags, get ready to go to the hospital. You do those types of things. That's how we think about both of those things in life. And it's how you should think about the end of time. Are you prepared for that day? Well, you can't know when Christ will return, but you can know how to be prepared. And in verses 4 through 7, we see the second part here, be alert. Be alert. So no one knows the time. Therefore, verses 4 and 7, be alert. You know, there, there are really only two kinds of people. That's what the Apostle Paul recognizes here throughout his, his writing. Those who have trusted in Christ and those who haven't. That's the way the Bible divides people. It's the way Jesus divides people. It's the way that Paul is speaking here. Throughout his teaching, Paul is dividing people into two groups, the church and the world. The church, those who have been saved by the grace of God, who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And the world, those who are outside of Christ, not yet trusted in Jesus. You're all born into the world, and you must be born again spiritually into the church through faith in Jesus Christ. Back in verse 3, Paul spoke about the voice of the world, those who seek peace and security in this present world. Now in verses 4 through 5, he's back to speaking about the church, speaking to Christians. Now the world will be surprised on the day of the Lord, but the church shouldn't be. Look at verse 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Darkness, it's just an image here about the spiritual realm. Darkness is the domain of sin, where, where those who are not in Christ dwell spiritually. If you've become a Christian, it's because by God's grace, He's transferred you from the kingdom of, of darkness into the kingdom of, of light, faith in Jesus. And Paul keeps drawing a distinct line between the, the church and the world. He's contrasting how the church should not be surprised on the day of the Lord or by it. That's why he says in verse 4, but you, uh, but you are not in darkness. Uh, Christians are those who by God's grace have had the light of Christ shine into our hearts, saved from the dominion of darkness, transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son through faith in Jesus. Christian, you don't know when Jesus is coming back but this day will not surprise you like a thief. His main message here is don't be surprised. Live like Jesus is returning today. Therefore, be alert. Be ready. And in verses 5 through 7, Paul uses a group of, of images there that all point to being alert. So he contrasts darkness and light. Night. And day, being asleep or awake, being drunk or being sober. Contrasting all those images is saying, be alert. He's pointing to the church there. You're alert if you're living in the light, if you're of the day. If you're awake and you're sober, you're alert. You are not alert if you're in darkness, if you're of the night, if you're asleep and drunk, you are certainly not alert. That's the point of these images. So in verse 5, Christians, we see our children of the light and, and day, not children of the night or the darkness. And, and Paul uses these images of, of light and darkness. They're really used throughout the New Testament to refer to God and His salvation in Christ. Jesus Himself referred to Himself as the light. Back in John 12, 35, Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. He's talking about himself. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, 
believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So Paul is just continuing on that image. Being a child of the light and day means that, that by God's grace, those who put their faith in Jesus see clearly and therefore follow Jesus. And his application here is that, that thieves tend to break in and steal at night. Those who are of the, the light would not be surprised by a thief, so to speak. You'd see a thief coming. Now, in verses 6 and 7, he speaks figuratively again about being alert by using two more images. He's exhorting them to keep awake and to be sober. So, so both of those images of, of sleeping and drunkenness, they refer to being unaware. If you're asleep, you are not aware of what is around you. Some of you, even like 30 minutes after you wake up, you're not aware of what's going on around you. I'm one of the worst. If I get woke up in the middle of the night, I have no idea what is going on around me. Like when our kids were little and something happened and I woke up, I really was of no help because it took me probably like two and a half minutes to even realize I wasn't dreaming anymore. That's the whole point of being asleep. Like you're not alert. You're not aware of what's going on around you. Paul says in verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. Drunkenness is a sin. Why is it a sin? Well, God forbids it, most simply. But we also understand behind that command, being drunk is being under the influence of a substance. Rather than being under the influence of the Holy Spirit, giving yourself over to something where you're not going to be in control. That's what it means to be drunk, to be out of control, under the control of a, a substance. So he uses that image to say drunkenness is, is, is a picture of not being alert, not being aware. Put all of those images together. Darkness, sleeping, drunkenness, not alert, therefore not prepared for a thief. Here's another contrast at the beginning of verse 8. The word but. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Sober, of course, means to be alert. If you're sober, you're self-control. His main message here, again, don't be surprised. Be alert. Be ready. Live like Jesus is returning today. Yeah, I think about being alert. I've shared this years ago, but uh, before we moved here, we lived on Capitol Hill, and, and every day when I would leave the hill and I'd drive to other parts of the town because I ministered on campuses in other parts of the city, I would pass by a guard station that the Capitol Police manned 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I mean, if it was 105 degrees in the summer, those police officers were out there on guard. Uh, if it was icy and there was a blizzard, they were still there on guard. And I often sat at the red light there and thought, man, that must be a really boring job. Because most of what they did, they were there, like, let's say when the city bus came through. They checked every city bus to make sure that the driver of that bus was indeed the driver. The driver had to show credentials. So that nobody could hijack a bus and get on the capital, capital grounds and do something evil. Uh, if there was a U-Haul truck or an RV, occasionally I'd see that someone would get lost and they'd be heading for the capital complex, they would stop them. Lights would come on. They had their weapons. They would stand out in the middle of the street. You could not get that U-Haul or that RV onto the Capitol Hill complex. They would redirect you to another place. So I thought that must be boring because that doesn't happen that often. They have to stop someone. And they're out here in the heat of the day and in the dark night uh, and the coldness of winter on guard. But I remember there was one time that there was a police chase throughout town. And that police chase led up to Capitol Hill. And those guards were there to end that police chase. Probably 99.9% of their job was just being alert, standing there on guard. But that alert and readiness, it wasn't just something in vain. That day, they needed to be alert. Sometimes we're not alert just because we get tired of standing on guard. There's other things that seem more exciting. This present world seems like it's got more to offer sometimes, even if you're honest as a Christian. But that call to be alert and be ready, it's tied to the return of Jesus. His return can happen at any moment. I want you to be clear on that. 
because there's a very well-known pastor right now. One of the things he's putting out, he, he's talking about ushering in the return of Christ by fulfilling the Great Commission. And he's talking about refi- fulfilling the Great Commission by 2033 and ushering in the return of Christ. Theologically, I disagree with him. There's not things we need to do for Jesus to return. I want you to be clear. The Apostle Paul was directing them that Jesus can return at any moment. It is a wonderful thing for us to continue to aim to get the gospel out to the ends of the earth. Wonderful thing to do. Something I'm so thankful our church is concerned about. But you need to know the return of Jesus can happen at any moment, and therefore we need to live today as if it's the day that Jesus is returning. Well, are you ready? Are you ready for that day? I wonder what hinders you from being spiritually sober? What keeps you from being alert spiritually. Might I suggest one option? It's a, it's a screens, the screens in our life. We've got lots of screens we look at. Life has changed quite a bit as I've gotten older, and now screens are everywhere we go. You know, when I'm driving down the road, and there's a driver that's not alert, like going into one lane they're not supposed to go into, or they're sitting at a light well after it's turned green, there's really two options there. One, I see a South Carolina license plate. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. We love you South Carolina drivers. Most often, the other option is what I see. And that's that they're looking at their screen, right? If they're kind of getting out of their lane and coming over, they're looking at their screen while they're driving. If they're sitting there in rush hour traffic and 10 seconds after turning, they're looking at their screen. Is that not a picture for us of how we become unaware and not alert? Just through, through entertainment through escapes. Not our phones are just one avenue of escape. There's lots of escapes that you may take that keep you from being spiritually sober. I wonder what they are. Well, consider that we grow in being alert really through two main avenues. As we hear from God and as we speak to God. How do we hear from God? Through His Word. Faith comes from hearing. Well, how do we speak to God? in prayer. Isn't that the pattern we see on Sunday morning, our corporate gathering, that's meant to shape the pattern of our everyday life? That regularly we hear from God in His Word and we speak to God in prayer. If Sunday morning is the only time you're in the Word and prayer, you shouldn't shouldn't expect that you're going to grow that much in being alert. You need to be here. It will be helpful and fruitful. But the point of this gathering is that what happens here in this room on Sunday morning would continue in our lives together. So together, we would have kind of open lives that also are open Bibles, that together we would pray with one another, and then individually throughout the week. How is it that you can grow this week in being more alert and ready for the return of Jesus, if we get a week? How can you do that today? May our time today grow us in anticipation of Christ's return and in being alert. Well, we don't know the precise time. We need to be alert. And finally, we see in verses 8 through 11, prepare properly. Prepare properly. When you're preparing to go somewhere, it's a good question to ask, are you wearing proper attire? Last night, we, we had a first in my family. My wife and I went to take pictures with our daughter on her way to the prom. I've never done that before. She's my oldest. And so I looked at my wife, and I just asked the question, like, is it okay what I'm wearing? Like, what do parents wear to these things? I can't remember what was on Facebook a year ago. I, I was reminded last night, but what do I wear to this? Because I wanted to be dressed properly. You probably ask that question when you go on vacation. What are the different types of things I need to pack on vacation? Because I need one thing I wear to the beach, one thing out to dinner. What are we doing there? You want to be prepared and clothed properly. Well, what is the proper attire needed to be ready for the return of Jesus? That's what we find here in verses 8. Verse 8. Prepare properly by putting on faith, love, and hope. That's the clothing that Christians have been given in Christ, faith, hope, and love. Now, at the end of verse 8, we find insight on what it looks to be prepared and ready and sober. Verse 8, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, 
the hope of salvation. The proper attire, the proper way to be prepared so that you will not be surprised by the return of the Lord is to put on or live in faith, love, and hope. That's the illustration here that Paul uses, this this image of of God's armor. He's likely drawing back on Isaiah 59, verse 17. There we see God's divine warrior armed in righteousness. So let's consider this, how we can be properly prepared. First, you prepare for the return of Christ by putting on the breastplate of faith. That's armor there, and, and the faith referred to here is Trusting Christ. That's what faith means, trust. And it refers to presently trusting in Christ. What's powerful about our faith is not our faith, but rather the object that faith clings to. Christian faith, faith in Jesus, full of power, full of grace, full of love. Faith is how we cling to God and what He's done in Christ. Faith or trusting means that our confidence is in God to defend us, to provide for us. We trust in what He's done in Jesus. We trust in Jesus' death on the cross, His resurrection from the dead for our forgiveness that we've been transformed to walk in new life, pleasing to God. So the way to be ready for Christ's return, keep trusting in God's promises. A great prayer to pray, a simple prayer to pray for your own soul, for those around you. Lord, help me to grow in faith this week. Help those around me to grow in faith. That just means in trusting you, Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, again. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. May our life together as a church increasingly be defined by the ministry of the Word. Again, this is important. It really is. And after COVID, I'm thankful that our church came back together. But you know, when I get together with pastors so often, I hear from them that people still haven't come back. Now, we do have some here who've not come back. We have some who said they've gone on to other churches, and sadly, sometimes I run into them, and I see them, and ask them, how's things going? And they didn't, they're not really connected. They're not really going. That's not good. How are you to grow as a Christian if you're not giving yourself to that Hebrews 10, 25 gathering of being encouraged by the Word of God? I'm thankful that you all came back, and you came back quickly, and you're ready to assemble and to be strengthened and grow in the Lord. And we want our time increasingly outside of this room to be shaped by word ministry, meaning that the way we relate to one another is in light of the Word. That can happen just through simply talking today at lunch about the sermon. Hey, what was encouraging to you? What, what stood out to you? So, so, so there are different ways to prepare. Some of you do really in-depth Bible studies. I think that's awesome. And some of you are in a season of life where you're like, hey, that, that feels overwhelming to you right now. I've done that before, and I want to return to that again. Uh, but I can still get together with other Christians and read the Word and talk about the Word and have Word ministry as a part of what we're doing. If we're going to grow in faith, it's connected to hearing the Word. So therefore, that shapes our ministry together. Let's make sure we're hearing the Word together. Notice this breastplate is also the breastplate of love. Faith comes first, and then faith produces love. First, we're made to be believers, and then we grow as lovers, those who love God, those who love others. Think about this. Those who love God obey Him. John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Evidence that you love God means there's the fruit of obedience in your life. Well, think about that. The way we prepare for the return of Jesus is to grow in obedience to God's commands. We gather to hear that we might be shaped and transformed to deeper worship and obedience and service to God. If you're going to live like Jesus is returning today, then do things that you would want Jesus to find you doing if he returned today. And don't do things you would not want Jesus to find you doing if he returned today. 
It's just a, a real simple way to kind of run your actions and your attitudes and your words through. Uh, does this please Jesus? Is this something that if I knew Jesus were coming in five minutes, this is what I would want to be doing when he returns? Well, if Jesus had returned last night, what would he have found you doing? If Jesus had returned last week, what would he have found you doing? And Christian, this is an opportunity every Sunday. You're a child of light, and if you're giving yourself over to darkness, it's an opportunity to stop, to repent. Repent means turn away, to turn away from that, to live out who you are in Christ. You've been made a child of the light, and we need to live like that. You see, the return of Christ is sanctifying in that way and and encourages holiness. That's what the Apostle Paul is tying it to, the return of Christ and holy living. If the return of Christ is not a part of your gospel, if it's not a part of what you're meditating on and rejoicing in and looking forward to, that is certainly having an impact on your Christian growth and your sanctification. Give yourself to what you want to be doing if Christ returned today. We'll prepare for His return by growing in your love for God, growing in love for others. The final piece to put on verse 8, the helmet, the hope of salvation. If you want to be ready for the return of Christ, put on your helmet, the helmet of, of hope. Now remember that hope is not a vague optimism. That's not the Christian hope. Rather, a settled assurance. And for Christians, it's a settled assurance of future deliverance, future salvation. We've, we've already been saved. If you put your faith in, in Christ, already been filled with the Spirit of God, nothing can change that. We believe that by God's grace, you're preserved until that day you go to be with Him or until the day that Christ returns. And therefore, we need to be reminded of that hope we've been given in Jesus. You see, the hope of salvation refers to final salvation. At Christ's return, He will come and finally deliver His people from the presence of sin. Sin will be no more. Death will be no more. That's final salvation. He will finally deliver His people from the presence of sin to fully be with Him forever. Christ will return one day, but He's not returned yet. And in this life, we will know difficulty. Suffering comes before glory. It's how it was with Jesus. It's how it is with those who follow Jesus. We march from the victory of Christ, but the battle is not over yet. One day, we will not need hope. Because the hope, everything we long for and anticipated, will be fulfilled. We'll be with Christ face to to face all that we've hoped for, all that we've looked forward to, we will receive in glory with Christ. One day, hope will have reached its end. But in this life, we need hope. You know, the thing about hope is it even helps us understand and prepare that life is hard. It comes with difficulty. Some wrongly make the Christian life out to be easy. And then if it's difficult, well, then you're doing something wrong. Something's wrong with you. Something's wrong. And hear me correctly. Sometimes we do suffer because of sinful choices we make. But there's a lot of suffering that comes just because we live in a fallen world. There's a lot of suffering that we live in because of the effects of a fallen world on our, our bodies. There's, there's suffering that we face like the Thessalonians did for following Jesus. Life is, is hard. You see, the very call, though, to walk in hope, it implies that the Christian life will be filled with difficulty. It actually helps us know that. There'll be hardships, difficulty, suffering. I mean, didn't Paul's own coming to Thessalonica display this? He came and he was ran out after three weeks for doing nothing wrong, simply for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, hope, though, doesn't look inward or down inward to our own feelings or down to despair. Hope looks up and out, forward, of what is sure to come. Far too often, you and I look inward at our own feelings. Feelings are real, 
but often they are not accurate indicators of reality. Far too often we look down and despair. We imagine a future wrongly where somehow God's not going to provide for us. We get anxious. We worry. You see, hope calls us to look up to Christ and look forward, look out on what is sure to come. Hope reminds us in Christ the best is yet to come. The best is not here. This is not your best life. The best is yet to come. Eternal life with Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming. The best is yet to come. Now, it's not always too easy to explain hope, so we have images to help us, like a a helmet here. Consider what a helmet does practically. It just guards your head. And think about what it guards in your head, your brain, your, your, your mind. I remember one time I was talking with a friend of mine. I played high school football, and he was telling me, man, you football players, you have it so easy. He was telling me soccer is so much more physical and more difficult. You guys have all this padding and things like that. I said, well, we have the helmet so we don't get killed. I mean, seriously, we do. Like, you wear a helmet so you don't die on the football field. Like, so, so yeah, that's what it does. It protects you from being destroyed. It protects you from injury and, and, and having your brain damaged. Well, think about what hope does. It guards our mind. It guards our thoughts. It it guards us from feelings of despair leading us the wrong direction and somehow pointing us away from Christ. See, the helmet of the hope of salvation protects your mind and prepares you to live expectantly for the return of Jesus. When we experience suffering and difficulties, we may be tempted to grow bitter, to want to give up. Far too often we find ourselves growing cynical in in life. That's not a good thing. When things don't go our way, we may get angry, frustrated, different ways we express that anger. But there's another way. It's called the path of hope. It's the path that looks forward. It's a path that recognizes the trials that we face now do not compare with what lies ahead. The difficulty we face now doesn't compare with what lies ahead. And the helmet says, don't let the enemy get to your head. Don't let the enemy tempt you to live as if Christ isn't returning. Don't fall into the trap of despair. Christ is coming. He will make all things right. Christ is coming the best is yet to come. Hope speaks the truth to us that these trials will give way to glory. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Faith, love, and hope, that is the proper attire to be strengthened to look for the return of Christ. I wonder, brother and sister in Christ, are you wearing the proper attire this morning? Well, it's important to consider that we fight not for victory, but but from the victory of Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul reminds them of in verses 9 and, and 10. Hope is not found in your own efforts. Hope is not found in your own self discipline. Hope is found in Jesus. Verse 9, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Our hope is found in what Christ has accomplished for us. On the cross, Jesus bore the full weight of sin. He bore the weight of God's wrath and judgment for all who would turn and trust in Jesus for salvation. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you've already been saved from God's judgment. We can rejoice because that day when Jesus returns will be an awesome day. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus bore the full weight of sin and God's wrath by dying on the cross. We're already saved, yet Paul points to a future salvation at the return of Christ. And he's saying, that's your destiny, Christian. Nothing can change that. But we're also reminded that some are destined for wrath. God's wrath and judgment for sin 
It's what lies ahead if you've not put your faith in Jesus. And so if you're here this morning, again, and you've not put your faith in Jesus, we, I say we because I, I think I speak for every member of this church in saying this, we plead with you. Turn and put your trust in Jesus while there's still time. You will not find forgiveness apart from Him. Don't leave here today without talking to someone who invited you or brought you, without talking to one of our pastors at the door. We'd love to talk with you more about the urgency and the joy found in putting your faith in Jesus. That day doesn't have to be a day of wrath. The testimony of every member of this church, God saved us. He he paid the debt we owe God because of our sin. We've been saved and freed to live a life with Him. And I hope you'll know that freedom too. And you will if you put your faith in Jesus. Verse 11, the section closes out. We'll close out our time here this morning. Preparing for this day is not a solo venture. It's a team sport. Don't stop at merely putting the armor on yourself. Verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Don't stop with putting the armor on yourself. This helps us know, local church, let's give ourselves, OBC, to help preparing others for that day, to preparing others for the return of Jesus Christ. That's what our ministry is aimed at, helping you grow and mature and be prepared and be ready for that day. Position yourself as a church member to do both, to grow as an individual. You're responsible for your decisions, but position yourself to prepare others, to help others be prepared for that day, to disciple others in this church and prepare them to grow in faith and hope and godliness. Oakhurst Baptist Church, may we live like Jesus is returning today. May we have the perspective that we're not home yet, but we're almost home. Let's bow and pray. Father in heaven, we pray for help. We pray for renewed hope this morning. We pray that you would strengthen us even as we have heard your word this morning, Lord, that we would leave this place considering what we've heard. We would leave this place more alert than when we came in, more ready than when we came in for the return of Jesus. And help us to be ready to serve one another, to encourage one another, to build one another up. May we do that even now as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.